Small businessman Scott Flogger fought back against big labor and won. And the electrician's win could eventually be a big victory for worker liberty nationwide. Good day, I'm Matt Kittle, investigative reporter for MacGyver News Service. I spoke to Mr. Flogger recently on the Jay Weber Show on News Talk 1130 WISN. That conversation is the subject of today's MacGyver Newsmakers. Uh, This is a story that MacGyver Institute broke earlier this year, and um, I am... A lot of times you don't see the response or the reaction, or you don't see a uh, necessarily a positive result because it's tough to take on big labor. But that is precisely what Colgate small businessman Scott Flogger did. He stood up to big labor and he won. The owner of Veterans Electric, a service-disabled veteran-owned electrical contractor, beat back what Flogger asserts was a campaign of harassment and intimidation by the Trust Fund for the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 494. Scott joins us now to discuss his big victory in court and what it could mean for workers' rights, worker freedom in Wisconsin. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. First and foremost, congratulations. We talked about this uh, several months ago, and I know that uh, the wheels of justice turn slowly. Bring us up to speed, but first and foremost, take us back to what uh, was being contested in court. Well, this all had to do with a periodic audit that the Union Benefit Office does, you know, obviously to make sure that their uh, union members are receiving all the benefits that they're entitled to, and and this is nothing unusual. Mm -hmm. Uh, The circumstances in this case changed because they were demanding the payroll and personal information of every single employee in the company, whether they were a union member or not. And these additional employees were management, mid-level, upper-level, and administrative people, and basically the union wanted to violate their uh, privacy rights and force me to turn over you know, not only their W-2s with all the payroll information, but names, addresses, social security numbers. Mm. And uh, I had two issues with that. First of all, of course, it's illegal for me to turn over the personal information of employees who have not consented to release their personal information. Yes. Secondly, it was the trust that I had established between myself and my employees, I guess, to protect their personal information. And I felt I was duty-bound to make those protections and fulfill that obligation uh, to prevent this information being put into uh, the hands of organized labor, basically. Indeed. And, And here's a good point, too, and I just want to interject on this point. Um, and, and that is the question that I asked you at the time, and I think our listeners would ask, too, why on earth would uh, this trust fund for this labor organization need such personal information on these employees? I mean, it's one thing to note that you have employees who are non-union or are union, and that's part of it all, but why do they want this detailed information, Scott? That was certainly an issue because uh, we do not employ any non-union field electricians. Mm-hmm. So everybody that was, you know, the key words here are covered by the agreement uh, were, in fact, uh, the field electricians. Uh, 
but a number of my mid-level, upper-level management people are also licensed electricians. And I believe this to be a fishing expedition to see if they could determine if any of these other electricians were performing any services that they could be considered covered under this plan and therefore force me to pay into the benefits fund, even though these individuals are not receiving any benefits from the fund. Right. Uh, the other aspect is the uh, IBEW local here has been on a recruiting drive, and they've actually acquired the names and addresses of all licensed electricians and determined which ones are not union members, and they've been sending a, a two-man crew from the union hall to visit the residences of all these non-union electricians in an effort to attempt to encourage them to join the union. I like that word, by the way, encourage them. Uh, <laughs> we've heard some of the stories of encouragement in the, well, over the last year in particular. It turns out that two of these individuals did go to the home of one of my management employees. Hmm. Uh, he lives in a secluded area. He's got a long driveway. He's got a sign at the street that says trespass or no trespassing. Did not stop these union individuals, and they had a nice little chat with this individual's wife while he was not around wow. uh, and working that day. Although just, they, his just wife amazing. did say they were courteous, but even still, these individuals knew that th that this electrician person was working that day and chose to interrogate his wife oh, and, and didn't obviously pay attention to the signs didn't care about the signs and did uh, as as you noted and we're seeing that as i said more and more this is a right to work state it has been since 2015 uh you can choose indeed to be a member of a union and nobody can stop you from doing that but by the same token, you can choose not to be a union, and you can't be strong-armed enforcement. Unfortunately, Scott, we're seeing more of, more of these tactics. What did the court ultimately say in this long legal battle? Well, the union had uh, claimed that it was long-established law that they had the right to see any documents that they desired or could claim were related to the audit and they continued to press that idea. I, I suppose they felt they had some sort of special auditing powers. And in the end, you know, almost a year later and a considerable amount of money later, the court has ruled that the collective bargaining agreement actually means what it says. And it says that these audits are restricted to the information of previous and current employees that are covered under the agreement. And it specifically says, and no other documents. But the union had claimed that that did not matter, and they had these special powers. And in the end, the court ruled that, no, the collective bargaining agreement should be read just as it is written. And it means that mid-level, upper-level management, administrative people, even the high schooler that cleans my shop every couple of weeks are all protected from this audit. Indeed. And uh, here's another important point that I think is, is lost. I hope it's not lost. Um, you had mentioned it. You, had, you have spent a lot 
of money and a lot of time and a lot of resources defending yourself and your company. And by the way, I should note that you are a veteran of the first Gulf Wars, Operation Desert Storm. You set up this company because of your skill sets, obviously, and what you could bring to the economy, but you also set it up as a way to reach out and connect with veterans, uh, veteran electrical workers who uh, needed a chance, needed an opportunity. You provide that, and yet you still have to go through this rigmarole and pay all this money to defend yourself and your business. It is frustrating because... Obviously, there are a number of young people that have come back from the uh, theater war, and every time one of them has an issue at their current employer or there's some sort of PTSD issue or they're just not working out because of, you know, whatever circumstances happened to them, they're, you know, they're just not as fast as the electrician next to them or there's some sort of, a uh, specific type of work that gives them a little bit of a flashback, the union has always called us. Would you give this this veteran a chance? Mm-hmm. He's having issues over here. As Veterans Electric, would you give this veteran a chance? And we've done that. We've taken a number of electricians in, and they've thrived with us because in our business here, we already have several uh, veteran electricians. Matter of fact, I'm losing another one next week. He's going to Afghanistan for a year. Mm. He's still in the reserves, but we understand the circumstances here. Uh, I've realized that by taking some of these people on, it's going to cost me a little bit more money because they're not going to be able to work quite as fast. Um, disabled veterans are some of the greatest employees when their head is in the game. But when they're having some sort of an issue, they're just you just have to be patient and let them work through that issue. And it's going to cost me, the employer, a little bit more money, but I'm willing to do that because I've been in that situation. You have, and they understand that too. And that provides a place for them of understanding, which they might not get in another workplace. And that's what I say. You put all of this in context. And how much money have you spent uh, trying to uh, defend Veterans Electric in court? About $55,000. Wow. That's how much, and all this time, of course, this isn't something that just happened overnight. This is something that's been going on for quite some time now. So I conclude with this question. You got a victory in court. The court ruled in your favor. Uh, but there is a matter of a costly legal expense here. Do you plan to uh, push this farther uh, through, I don't know what the channel would be, appeals or what have you, to, to try to recover what you've spent defending yourself? Oh, yes, definitely. There is some case law. There's very similar case law where the union uh, stated various uh, claims and defamed the, the contractor, and in the end, all the claims uh, fell apart, and it, all, it went all the way up to... Uh, the um, appeals court, and it was well established that you cannot just sue uh, a person or a company in my situation without having a legitimate claim of damages. And that's exactly what this case is going to become. I've been sued on three counts. I've been defamed by the union. They've practically... uh, advertised me as one of the biggest deadbeats 
in the electrical industry to the point where they were trying to get a court-appointed receiver to take over our uh, our um, financing, etc., or our operations to ensure that I wasn't trying to skip the country. Jeez. And in the end, they were, were not able to prove anything. They have absolutely no claim or no ability to prove that they were damaged in any way. I know you did. I know you didn't set out for a year and fifty-five thousand dollars over nothing. Yes, I know you didn't set out to be, you know, the face of, uh, you know, liberty in the the workplace, liberty for small businesses and uh, small business employees. But in many ways, I, I think that you are. I think this story has some uh, national impact. I think this isn't just a southeast Wisconsin story. I think this is a much bigger story as it relates to worker freedom. I wish you the best of luck. Please keep us informed. Love to have you back on uh, once you go through that process. Give us an update on how things are going. But again, congratulations on your victory against big labor today. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Colgate small businessman Scott Flogger, standing up to big labor and winning. And that is a win for worker freedom everywhere. No doubt about it. Thanks for joining us on this edition of MacGyver Newsmakers. I'm Matt Kittle reporting.